So I started implementing those tools and I, I still remember the first time I asked one of the athletes to pick up the sandbag off the ground and he was wrestling with it for what seemed to be several minutes. And he's like, he's like, this is so awkward. This is tough. And what he was trying to say to me was, is there a better way? Can I go use the barbell? And I said, that's exactly why we're using it because when it's tough, that's when you have to make it happen. That's when you have to be strong and not give up. And I learned that those odd objects got the kids tough. It also added in those early days, a very unique element where they felt special. That was strength coach Zach Evanesh speaking on the uniqueness and the utilization of tools such as sandbags and other odd objects in a strength and conditioning program. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 115 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Today, we have back on the show, strength coach, educator, and entrepreneur, Zach Evanesh. We had Zach for episode 100, which was a really cool episode speaking on really the epidemic of the lack of physical preparation and the ability to play in our youth. And uh, we also talked a little bit about early specialization. Uh, Zach was a huge element on that show. Uh, He has so much in the trenches experience working with high schoolers, middle schoolers, as well as collegiate and other athletes. But Zach's true passion is uh, really crafting young, young athletes, introducing them to strength, as well as, as you heard in the teaser, using odd objects to really give them a unique and effective strength and conditioning experience. So uh, Zach's, Zach's background, if you didn't hear it the first time as well, he's a, the founder of the Underground Strength Gym and has also created the Underground Strength Coach Certification. He's coached over a thousand athletes from the youth level to collegiate level. Zach is a true leading figure in the strength and conditioning industry and also with those strength entrepreneurs out there. Uh, One of the things that's always stood out to me uh, about Zach and also resonated with me in life is using the power of what you have. So when, when you do not have a choice, when it's just 
I have these three things. I am going to train with these three things. Uh, on podcast episode 96, Dan John also talked about training high-achieving high school throwers with minimal facilities and coaching a girl shot putter with a rock. I've, I've had a Darian Barr coach me with nothing but a 25-pound plate in a grass field and teach me incredible things about how I was using my arms and sprinting and jumping. And um, it's just, I really uh, enjoy talking to coaches who have done so much, um, starting with so little and crafting that into a training program. You look at the old school strongmen who had to figure out ways to train with very little and got amazing results. And it's that creativity uh, that I just so much love. And so um, I'm excited to talk to Zach today. He's just a great strength coach and person that has done amazing things with the young athletes that he has worked with. So today on the show, we are going to cover Zach's story and mission as a coach, how he got started and how he created and defined his mission. Um, as you heard in the teaser, we're going to talk about using alternative means for training athletes. Uh, we're going to talk about the importance of part of we're going to talk about the importance of partnerships and environment in enhancing creativity and work outputs, as well as uh, continuing on in talking about um, continuing off episode one, 100. And Zach will speak more on trends in youth performance in terms of kids' physical readiness. So excited to get to you guys this show. Let's get on to it. Zach, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it, my man. I know it's early on that West Coast. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's it's an early one, but it actually sets my day up really well. It, it forces me to to get my engine running a little bit sooner. And I always I always love the, doing these. And uh, last time you were on episode 100, it was it was an amazing one, and, and really a lot of things that uh, just really changed my mind and things going on in the sports industry, so or performance industry. So I'm happy to have you back. Cool, man. I appreciate it. that. That was a great podcast with Jeremy. Yeah, no, no doubt. And so I know last time we had we had three people on. I'd like to kind of hone in on you particularly this time. And I know you've shared it a million times, uh, or at least a lot that I've heard. And I love hearing it every time, but just a little bit about, and I think we'll probably get into it too. We were talking about it before, but like when we're, when we're a sports performance coach, a strength coach, we have a mission, right? Like and how did your mission start and, and why is it what it is now? Yeah, it's interesting to hear the different missions of different coaches. <clears throat> so last time we had Jeremy, we were with George. So George spending most of his time in um, pro athletes, NFL, um, special forces, and then Jeremy with the youth and me with like the level above him. It was like an interesting dichotomy. So <clears throat> what really, I, I guess I got lucky in the way where some people they have passion, and that was kind of always – I was always very passionate when it came to training, even as a kid. And other people are not so much into the passionate side of things. They're more into the intricate details of things, so maybe the science behind the training. And I look back to when I was training with uh, guys when I was in my younger years of high school. I was training with some of the older high school guys and it was a group of two to three to sometimes five, but they always wanted me to be the guy that organized the workout that said, when we're training together, that said, this is what we're doing. And then from that, I had like my friends in school that were on the other sport teams, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, they would say, Hey Zach, um, write me a workout, you know, for chest, you know, this is like mm -hmm. early nineties. And these are like baseball guys. 
So during class, every you know textbook had like a bodybuilding magazine in the middle of it, and I had a notebook where I was just writing. You know, those were like early days of my you know program design stuff. And um, in my high school years, I remember you know thinking to myself, <clears throat> I want to own a gym. This is what I want to do. And strength and conditioning was not a thing that I knew of or really anybody knew of. There was personal trainers in the gyms. And um, I didn't, you know, there wasn't too much opportunity when I was starting to look at college. You, you either were going to be a physical therapist and anybody who was doing PT, I never saw them working with athletes because the injuries of the 90s were not what they were of the 2000s. You know, I look at high school and the only person that ever had a surgery was my brother. He had a meniscus repaired. There was no baseball guys having Tommy John surgery, shoulder surgery. Were, I saw the quarterback and the pitcher benching heavy with the football team. You know, like <laughs> it, was, it was just the normal thing. So when I went into college, uh, there was a health and phys ed. And there was, it was called adult fitness, which was essentially you would go into like a cardiac rehab and exercise. Not, it wasn't even exercise science back then. So long story short, I get through college. Um, I was bodybuilding when I was in college. I get my teaching degree. I begin teaching and I'm trained very hard all through these, you know, years. But the thing that set me off was I tore my ACL my fifth year teaching and I tore it while uh, training in jujitsu, but doing stand up work. So I was competing in jujitsu. I was doing Muay Thai. I was coaching wrestling and I believe it was, it may have been, uh, I tore, I had a lot of injuries that year. I think I had torn my show. I tore my rotator cuff. Uh, then there was the ACL. I didn't need surgery on the shoulder, but long story short, it just hit me where I was like, man, how am I training so hard for all these years? <clears throat> I started, you know, working out at age 12, lifting weights at age 13. So half my life I'm training, yet I'm getting injuries. And, and uh, I realize I'm just training the wrong way for wrestling, for combat sports. So after that ACL injury, <clears throat> I'm a fifth year teacher. I start researching how the Russian wrestlers train because I knew that the Russians at the time were the best wrestlers and the internet was super new, very raw. So I can't even remember if I was coming across stuff on the internet. It was like, you know, very unique old school forums on Yahoo and these other search engines. And I was able to pick up some information. And I think Elite FTS and Westside Barbell were like the two websites that were alive. And by searching like Russian training methods, it kept bringing me back to Elite FTS, which had all of the original Westside Barbell articles. I printed them all out. And um, I believe it was Tommy Myslinski. They call him Milo. He's the strength coach for Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe he did his master's thesis on the, it was called like the Russian conjugate sequence system. So I kind of poured into all the right stuff. And lucky for me back then, there wasn't a million websites to get confused about. So I started <clears throat> learning where my training was flawed, all of those bodybuilding machines and isolation movements and looking at how the Russians train their athletes. So once that winter passed, I knew that I was going to just start training differently and I was going to start training out of my garage. 
So I started piecing together equipment from newspaper classified ads. Um, I went into some real like shady places in New Jersey to buy stuff from, it seemed what they were like personal training studios that shut down. So I got some dumbbells. I got a flat utility bench, a dip bar. Um, I purchased like a, a set of upright squat stands and I trained in my own garage, in my parents' garage until it just got so freezing cold in there that I couldn't train in there anymore. But when I trained out of my garage, I put on like a different kind of size and muscle compared to when I trained out of these normal <clears throat> gyms where I was on a lot of machines. So I had a barbell, I had a pair of dumbbells, 50s and 100s, that's it. I had the dip bar, um, I had the flat utility bench, which I would put a toolbox under to do inclines on. So my training was kind of like this minimalist training, and um, I had read a lot about the golden era bodybuilders, and it brought me back to that time. They trained very basic. They didn't have too many machines, although they did have machines in those late 60s, early 70s. I did not, but I was training the way like Dave Draper would train, like a lot of supersets and just pushing the pace, and uh, I put on a lot of size and strength. So with my research of what the Russians were doing and then this kind of golden era bodybuilding stuff, when the spring and early late spring, early summer came around, I um, spoke to a couple of the parents of the wrestlers I coached and told them I'd be training kids out of my parents' garage. So I was training a couple of wrestlers and a basketball player in the neighborhood. And that basketball player was uh, entering his senior year. And I remember uh, by the end of the summer, he was dunking. And this is a time like we didn't really do much jump work. We did a little bit of jump work. I didn't really have much knowledge about it, but I would take him to the to the uh, field behind, like, uh, behind his area of the neighborhood. And it was like the, the water towers were up there. So there was like a pretty deep sprint hill to sprint. And I remember having him bounding across the field, like doing the bounding. Uh, doing squat jumps out in front of my driveway. And then other than that, it was basic strength work. He would deadlift, he would clean and press, but we would do stuff out of my parents' backyard. We had stones. I would put a towel around the tree and do towel pull-ups. So he was dunking by the end of that summer. And I realized, okay, I'm really, this is, this stuff works because he couldn't dunk two months later, not even two months, because we may have started in mid-July, because it was after my surgery. Six weeks later, he's dunking. He goes on to be the team captain of his team. And then one of the wrestlers I trained also, like within two weeks, he had a match where he lost to the kid. And then two weeks later, like he beat up on a kid like 12-4, 12-2. And I remember that was like a moment of truth for me to see, does this stuff work? And I remember the mom was next to me and she was like, oh my God, like he's winning. Your, your training worked. And I was like, I told you, <laughs> you know, but little did I know. And what was really happening was some basic things. <clears throat> I got them stronger. I got them more confident and I got them tougher with the training that they went through. Um, it was super basic. There was nothing fancy. I had nothing fancy. And once I got that taste of delivering results and seeing them succeed, it was like a way of silencing my own demons. Because for me, I had that pain of regret from training the wrong way, yet training very hard, which did not develop the performance I needed for wrestling. 
And that was the beginning. So it went from my parents' garage, their backyard. I would train at local playgrounds to the first house we bought. My fiance and I bought, we redid the garage first. And um, I was training kids out of that garage for a year. Was it longer than a year? No, it was a year because we bought it a year before we got married. We had to gut the whole house, but her uncles were the contractors. They did up the garage. You could see my old YouTube videos. We trained out of the garage, the backyard, and the local elementary school down the street. And even during that time, I learned how to build my website. I was writing for the local newspaper for the sports column on like youth training and parents were calling me. I left my cell phone and email in the like bio um, and people found out about us from the house. There were people traveling up to an hour away to get there. Now, of course, this is so we got married in 04. I was in training out of my first house in 2003 and training out of my parents house around 01, 02. So it's been a long time and it was a very, you know, things were so new back then that if people saw kettlebells, you know, they were calling it kettleballs or cowbells, like they didn't know what it was and they thought everything was like magical, you know, oh, he's got battle ropes. Everything they thought was a secret and a big, you know, boost for me with knowledge was when I was teaching every week on my prep period, I'd get on the phone with Louis Simmons. And we'd speak for like 40 to 45 minutes. <clears throat> and he would tell me about the football players he's training, the wrestlers, the MMA fighters. And um, I bought my first sled from Louie. I bought his one of his pieces of equipment called the Grappler, which was two landmines put together. And um, I developed this kind of like little studio gym out of my two-car garage. But those guys went on to really completely transform. I still speak with some of them. One of them is a coach at a high school now. And, um, you know, we, it's like, wow, the time goes fast. And of course things have changed. I've, I've developed greater knowledge, but the athletes have de evolved since then. They've gotten like less fit and less capable emotionally and physically. Um, so the business today is much different, especially for people running a business, what's happened is because of all the information that's out there, you know, the sport coaches are just running the weight room, even though they're not really qualified to do it. You know, they don't have the deep knowledge needed to train an incoming freshman to develop that kid. Kind of everybody's on the same program. So running the business is trickier. It's harder. There's a much more intricacies involved compared to my early days when I opened my first warehouse which was in uh 2007 is when i got out of the garage you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster man that's that's such an awesome story and i there's so many things too that kind of resonated with me i you're talking about like those early days of the internet right when there wasn't that much on there i remember i was i mean i grew up i mean i'm a little bit younger than you are but i remember it was like 98 99 just like the dial up and seeing what websites were out there and it was like the forums were really it but i was so young i didn't understand a lot of that stuff at that time but i just remember picking around and the first um when i switched my major exercise science i I went to louis simmons website this was like 2004 2005 and i downloaded like 450 pages of all his stuff and and just amazing. read it all. Yeah, it was like 
you know, it's it the amount of, uh, that was going on some people's squats that he improved some people's squats. I'm like, man, that's almost my max. Like this is incredible how much uh, how much is on there. So I uh, one of the one of the reasons I love talking to you, Zach, reading about your story, how you train, and and I just think about this stuff a lot. And you mentioned it like you put on so much more strength in your garage, like that environment, and you created yeah. it, had ownership over it. Uh, you know, not machine based movement. And I think that those of us, especially those of us who have all the equipment there for us and, and there may not be as much decision-making process. We don't have as much creative means and outputs. And I know you've done some really cool creative things, but I'd like to go into detail uh, about using like alternative training means for athletes. So maybe, uh, maybe barbells, but maybe things in a different way, mm. making do with what you have. Um, yeah. you, I know you've used like, uh, like logs or, or different types of yeah. things. So uh, could you tell me a little bit about the value of that work? Um, maybe uh, not only from a mental perspective, but also just from a physical, because I, I, not, I mean, just the the complementary nature or the impact that type of stuff has to get athletes really strong and fit uh, on its own. Yeah. So all those odd objects was essentially they came about through a mistake or like by accident. So number one, <clears throat> I didn't have the finances to purchase equipment. And in my early years, if I saw like these these guys that had the bigger names, they had expensive squat racks, collegiate squat racks. They were using like the um, oh I forget the name of that company. It's the Functional Trainer. Do you remember the name of that company? It's like a cable. Co- it's basically a cable column where you're doing all the rotational stuff and and all these exercises. But the cable column itself was five or ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I remember talking to my dad, thinking to myself, do I need to take out a bank loan to purchase this piece of equipment? So what I began doing was simply utilizing what was available. And one of the earliest influences to that intensity training was Rocky movies, especially Rocky two and three with him training at the junkyard, Rocky four training out, you know, in uh, Siberia. And then when we bought, uh, or actually let me back up, out of my out of my parents' house, the backyard had like these two levels, and the level was was divided by all these stones. So I simply used stones. I started becoming more resourceful. I remember early days, World's Strongest Man, from the early '80s. There was a channel called I think Wide World of Sports on CBS. It was CBS. Those guys were like throwing tractor, throwing uh, car tires or doing tug of war on car tires. So I became resourceful and I looked at, here's an exercise. It's a clean and press. We can do it with a dumbbell, two dumbbells, a barbell, or a stone. Then I began <clears throat> making equipment and I had listened to an interview with Josh Henkin talking about uh, the kids on the farms being so strong. So I remember thinking to myself, well, I want to develop farm boy strength and being in a uh, pretty suburban town that's almost like a city now, <clears throat> I started making stuff. I started you know, making my own sandbags. I went to the local liquor store, multiple liquor stores to try to get a keg until finally one person I said, I am a, I think I said I'm a personal trainer and I'm going to do strongman training. So I want to buy the keg, and the people in the beginning were looking at me like I was going to do something crazy, like this guy's, you know, going to throw a keg off the top of a bridge. 
So <clears throat> I started implementing those tools. And I, I still remember the first time I asked one of the athletes to pick up the sandbag off the ground. And he was wrestling with it for what seemed to be several minutes. And he's like, he's like, this is so awkward. This is tough. And what he was trying to say to me was, is there a better way? Can I go use the barbell? And I said, that's exactly why we're using it. Because when it's tough, that's when you have to make it happen. That's when you have to be strong and not give up. And I learned that those odd objects got the kids tough. It also added in those early days a very unique element where they felt special. So when we bought the first house, there was an old cherry tree in the back that was that was dead. So <clears throat> my uncle cut it. My wife's uncle cut it down. Then they they took away the logs, but he left me two logs because I think he knew I was going to use them. So they were about four feet in length. And I remember just a zercher carrying it around the backyard and my back and abs were worked in such a different way. And for people now, it's, it's different. Back then, I was used to training on a Smith machine, leg press. Although I could squat a lot and bench a lot, I did a lot of machines. I wasn't carrying anything or doing any kind of manual labor. So I remember carrying that log and it just... My buddy would come over, we'd train together, and it just became this experiment where I got a wheelbarrow from Home Depot. We'd put weights in it. We'd push it around the backyard. We'd farmer walk the heavy dumbbells, and my street was a little bit on a hill, so going up the hill was brutal. Uh, if we were floor pressing, we would have to deadlift it and hand it off to each other. And I just learned that <clears throat> those odd objects build a a mindset or mental toughness, if you will. They develop a more grittier athlete, but they also developed a strength that was a little bit, you know, Marty Gallagher calls it the in-between muscles. So a lot of injuries, and I had this conversation over the weekend, Matt Wenning and I did a seminar together, and I said, the reason why I'll use these odd objects is because injuries tend to happen when the athlete is in an awkward position and their body is kind of scared uh, not used to it, so they get scared and it shuts down, or uh, they they emotionally get scared and it puts them in a dangerous place. I always tell my son when he's wrestling, I go, you cannot be afraid when you're out there because then you'll be cautious and you'll be backing up and you'll get injured. You're always better off attacking or just you know not you just don't you don't get scared. So I found that the athletes got tougher by training outdoors, training with, you know, odd objects. I remember having a kid, we were at an elementary school and the, the playground basketball courts were very low to the ground. So he would do like squats or clean and press for five, five pull-ups off the rim. Then he'd sprint right up a hill. And it was like this perfect storm of strength and speed and toughness. And if it was multiple guys, they'd get up to the top and then they would wrestle at the top of the hill. And it was just building hammers, doing that stuff. Now, I think in the early days, and probably still to this day, people look at it like that's the only way I train. The majority of our training is probably free weights, calisthenics, um, but we will use odd objects. But you know what's been unfortunate is I found that people are more susceptible to injury. So whereas I used to have this like 600 plus pound tire that everybody was using, now I stick with like this 350, 400 pound tire and every time I pull it out, 
there's another tire next to it and I leave the big tire there. I'm like, Oh, I'm pulling out the little tire. I'm thinking to myself, it's so like, it's just, it's almost sad because the, the toughness and the strength is not there. And before my first gym moved, um, there was dust on the 600 plus pound tire. And one of the kids asked the coach and the coach was like, Hey man, what I heard was that all the high school kids were flipping that 650 pound tire and like it was just collecting dust. Nobody was flipping it. And we just have different kids today compared to before. And also sometimes I wonder if with my greater knowledge, I'm more uh, conservative because I've seen so many athletes get injured, not from training, but from overuse of sport, because every sport is essentially a, um, you know, it's at least two seasons now. So my son plays baseball. He's playing baseball right now. It's the fall. Then he's going to play in the spring. Then they got winter training and it bothers me. And that's why I have been involved in wrestling to develop strength outside of this one sport. But, you know, there's kids that are eight, nine years old doing one sport and, and just focusing on it. And those kids are, I don't want to say they're the worst to train, but they have the most issues with, um, they just have a lot of issues from like poor ankle stability. They move quite horrific. Their posture is bad. I mean, they come with like a host of problems that athletes shouldn't have. They almost look like they're not athletes with how beat up their body looks. And just parents cannot grab, even with all these articles that keep coming out saying multi-sports are best, you know, it's, there's just too much pressure. And, and I think uh, for the parent who even somewhat cares, they're getting their kid involved um, more so. So it's, um, you know, it's a part, these odd objects are part of the program. There's a, there's certain times where I use them more often than others. There's times where I take like a week away from free weights and it's just like sandbags, kettlebells, calisthenics. Um, but I found it to be a great blend of mental and physical for the athlete. Yeah. That's amazing how you've had to change that programming over the years with the yes. changing generations. How, lo how long have you been training? What year is this of you training athletes now? Um, so I started training the guys out of my parents' garage. Um, was that the end of my third year teaching or something like that? It would have been somewhere around 2001, but we could go back to my first um, coaching job. I worked at a hospital fitness center. The part of it had cardiac rehab, but uh, the gym was open to the public. So um, the adults would come and then they would start bringing their kids. So I got that job. I was 19. I remember because I, it was after my bodybuilding show it was the fall of, 95. So I was training. Um, I remember when parents found out that I, I was a wrestler, they would bring in their kid who wrestled. And I remember this one kid, his name was Lucas. He was a short, stocky kid. But he, I, just looking back now, this would never happen. I taught him how to deadlift conventional. He picked it up right away. His chest was tall. His back was flat. But I also had him doing things like benching on the universal machine. I had him doing pull-ups and dips and dumbbell benching, um, you know, but he had the deadlifts and the squats in there, which gave him a big edge. I got him very strong, uh, developed muscular endurance, and kids back then were not lifting. They did not know how. So that kid went on and started crushing people, 
and uh, nobody really understood. Oh wow, he trained with you know there was no strength coaches back then. He went to the JFK Fitness Center, and some guy Zach helped him out. Nobody really grasped what why he made that big jump, and it was because at, he was he was a light kid, but like. Like he was a lot. He may have been like a 112 or 119 pounder, but he was squatting like close to 225, and he was deadlifting over 225. He was, you know, doing twice his body weight on these basic barbell lifts and doing, you know, 10 plus pull-ups, 20 plus dips. That's why he was beating people up. So I started, you know, training athletes and getting into the profession around, you know, 0102. But how long have I been training people? As soon as I had training partners in high school, I was always viewed as Zach's the coach. Zach's putting the workouts together. Do what Zach says. And um, it was because I always had a lot of fire and passion that it's just been my natural thing. Even when I work, Joel, like if I – like right now I'm in my office, but a lot of times I feel my most creative when I'm going through a workout or just finished a workout – because training is what's just really given me such a like a it just gives me fire. So uh, you know, I'm I've returned back to teaching in the schools because my goal is to really um, take my system and get it more into the schools than it is um, just as a independent facility. But man, like uh, I love being in the gym. I, I remember doing homework in the in the gym when I was like 15, and I still have that fire. But to me, atmosphere in the gym is crucial. So the gym makes me most creative, man. It, it's it's really sometimes it's kind of weird. That's like that's where I get like the most fire. But I still love finding those old gyms, old pieces of equipment. Um, I love the history because I respect the history. I respect how strong people got with that limited equipment, limited knowledge and basic nutrition. To me, that's like, man, it's just so inspiring. And now there's so much information out there. There's so much great information out there. But what's weird is, you know who's coming across the great information? The coaches. We're exchanging our great information. We're educating other coaches the parents and the kids are coming across very generic stuff um, that they, they, they doesn't give them a, um, a proper grasp of what they need and what they should be learning from. You know, this is why parents don't think that there's any difference between myself and the local high school football guy running the weight room when there is a tremendous difference, but they don't know because we always speak our language. So in the industry, I know we're going on a tangent here, or I'm going on a tangent. Sometimes my fear is that in the industry, the great coaches, you know, they've kind of gotten out of the gym business because it's very hard to run a gym. And it's much easier to share your training knowledge than it is to run a business. It's much easier to talk about running a gym than it is to actually be the guy who runs the gym, you know? So there's, we're in that weird place now where parents and athletes are not coming across the right information. Great coaches are leaving the gym business because they're tired of the headaches and um, 
people teaching others how to run a gym oftentimes don't have a gym or have never run a gym. So it's in, we're in like a really weird place now in this industry. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, no, it's, I, I agree. I, and I, I really resonate with you in the sense that like I'm also my saying like I'll, I'll be working out till the day I die. And I, the most creative and, and fired up I ever am is the end of a great work. And then getting together with another coach who has similar views. It's like we create together. I've been doing a lot yes. of reading on creativity lately. And I think that's a lost, not lost, but like it's so easy just to, and God, even with like smartphones, it's like or just the ability to look at a phone and not dream or imagine or, or work on your own process. creativity. Yes. I said that, this to my kids a lot lately. I said, you keep spending your time on that phone, you will lose your creativity. You're going to be unable to read a book and tell me what you just read. You're going to be unable to create because you're only consuming. And something I read recently, which is very powerful, and I've been implementing it, which has been changing my business, is we're oftentimes thinking of how to grow, how to expand, but it's not so much how, it's who. And the reason why I'm saying that is you said you'll train with somebody or you'll do a project with them, and that's when you get creative. So the Strong Life Experience, I I, uh, partnered up with a friend of mine who is a very, like he's just the best guy when it comes to video and having the artistic view of how to like share it out and get the message across. Sometimes I feel I don't even really know how to parlay my message properly. Meaning he knows how to say, this is what you're trying to teach. And he could put it into a video, you know, like, like the way a, a uh, movie producer can. Sometimes I feel like I know if I could get in front of people, I could share it. But before they get in front of me, it's hard to get them to understand what it is I'm sharing. And this weekend I did the seminar with Matt Wenning, um, getting back to running a mastermind group. And I've realized that this book, uh, I'm going to show you this book, has really influenced me a lot. It's called Willpower Doesn't Work. And the gist of the book is you could have all the discipline in the world. And there's this big discipline kick with people following Jocko Willink. But here's where it gets deeper. Um, Benjamin Hardy, who wrote the book, said it's your environment that gives you the discipline and puts you in really the hot seat to create and achieve more. Now, people might not be around Jocko, but they're virtually around him because of his podcast and his consistent message through Twitter and Instagram. So that's, they are part of his, in, or he becomes part of their environment. Whereas uh, I look at the, the, the best bodybuilding gym I trained out of, everybody out of that gym was winning the bodybuilding shows. Like they were winning the Mr. New Jersey. We, this was this little gym and there was like six pro bodybuilders there. You know, it was like, you know, back then there weren't a lot of pro bodybuilders. It was, it was very hard to become pro back then. You had to win like the entire show. You couldn't place top three in this weight class. It was the entire show. So me realizing, wow, it's not just what I want to try to achieve. Who am I going to do it with? So now I'm partnering with the right people and really doing a, a, a strategic and I'm taking a strategic plan of action to be around the right people where we complement one another and we 
um, help propel one another forward. And just since doing that, like my productivity has, you know, I can't even tell you how much 10, 20 exit, you know, I had the seminar in July. I just had a seminar this Saturday. The next seminar is in October. So it's uh, just shy of a month from now. Um, I partnered up with two companies for a new podcast. Plus I have my own podcast and I'm not, it's, I'm not busier. I'm just taking what I already do and partnered with people to move forward. And the strength and conditioning industry, there's a lot of separation. People, uh, people are creating separation. Whereas my early years, I never wanted that. I always wanted to bring people together. And when I got around the wrong people who caused separation and caused like this faction and that faction, I moved away from those people. And you've got to do as a strength coach, you've got to do a great job of finding people who have that more of an abundance mentality versus, uh, Oh, it's a secret. And there was a lot of that in my early years, you know, like you couldn't email a coach. It was, you couldn't even find their email back then you had to pay to be in their private forum. You know, now you can email Charles, you can message Charles Polquin on Facebook. You know, you could reach out to the best of the best um, through any social network. And the power is, you know, who you're working with. And uh, that's what I've learned is like, okay, that's why I got back to teaching because it's, it's who, who am I going to do this with? I'm going to get back. I'm going to get into a school system and I'm going to do it with the school because I know my path is working with this. When I say youth, it's that middle school, high school and college. Um, but especially middle school and high school. So it's really changed my thinking and, um, it's just made the results that much more powerful. Wow. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with the collaboration effect and the, like the, the mentality of so many people is the industry is a zero sum game. There's winners and losers. It's like, there's always athletes to train. There's always, there's a, we're living in an age of abundance. And I, I completely agree with you. I, I wanted to, um, get back a little bit into, uh, the some of the some of the work you were doing in terms of we were, we left off actually well the reason I asked you how many years you coaching I was really wondering what those years were where you were like wow I do notice this big downtrend was there like any okay. specific year where you're like or in terms of athletes getting injured more sure. easily they weren't ready was there like a a year a couple of years where all of a sudden you're like whoa or is it just like slowly and steadily over the last five I or so I still or? remember I remember this one conversation I had with a dad but I can't remember if I owned the warehouse gym or if it was out of my garage. <clears throat> so I was training football players, wrestlers, baseball players, and those guys were also multi-sport athletes. So a football player might also be playing lacrosse. Football player is also playing basketball. Wrestler might play lacrosse or football or track and field. But I remember this one kid Back then, by the way, my prices were all also more expensive. I had a much higher price point compared to today, which is which is really weird. Like you know, it's we're in the Amazon Walmart space where people want things cheaper, even when you're a hundred times smarter than you were 15 years ago. But I remember this one kid was a a good pitcher, a very good pitcher, and supposedly was already getting scouted, and. Man, it's bothering me that I don't remember if it, if I had the house or the gym, but 
The dad, I remember, made a comment about it being too expensive and him being too busy. <clears throat> and, oh, I did own the gym because I was I, I ran into him when I was leaving a follow-up visit from a meniscus surgery. And as I'm walking out, I see the dad and his son sitting in the waiting room. I don't remember the name, but the kid was um, – he was a baseball player. Spring – it was early spring – and I was like, I was like, what are you guys doing here? And he tells me that, you know, he, he tore his uh, ulnar radial uh, ligament. And uh, I was like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap. Like, this is the first kid I've run into that's about to get the Tommy John surgery. And um, I was like, man, well, at least he's young and he'll he'll have time to he'll have time to recover and make a comeback. So he was a senior. And the dad goes, he was time for what time for base time for soccer. Or he said something like that to me. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, he was thinking it's so expensive to train with me, but it's more expensive to lose your sports scholarship and now get a surgery. And we had this conversation uh, this Saturday with, with the seminar with Matt and I. And what that kid did was he waited to get surgery till after the season, but he did not pitch. He only could hit. And his main thing was he was a pitcher. So he lost his scholarship. I don't remember what happened to him, but he was friends with a lot of those football guys I was training. And the bottom line is that was a beginning message to me, a story to share about why you got to invest in your kids and you can't just play the sports. So in those early years of the garage days, I would tell kids to do, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, squats, lunges. Nobody had collapsing ankles. The thing that some of those kids struggled on was pull-ups. Uh, but back then, I didn't I didn't have the um, uh, the uh, foresight to see exactly who was not eating correctly. I, I gave kids nutrition guidelines, but I didn't check in with them on the regular. Um, but then, I, you know, then it was like one kid out of a group of 25 struggled to put on muscle, struggled to do pull-ups, struggled to get strong, and it was an issue with nutrition and you know lifestyle, essentially sleep habits and things like that. And then when I opened the gym in 2007, those kids were all tough and strong. A kid would throw up, he'd go and throw up against the fence and he'd walk back in and finish, or he'd throw up and he would train. He wasn't like scared of it and nor were the parents scared of it. Now you gotta remember those kids were predominantly wrestlers and football players. So football players, you know, that's their dads were like, okay, kids throw up during two a day footballs, wrestlers throw up. They would throw up after doing like sandbag and prowler work. It, it like destroyed them. And it wasn't like I was doing anything crazy. An introductory workout was always like this, Joel. I had this system. I would do some movement prep, jogging, skipping, karaoke, hopping on one foot, um, side shuffling. Then I would take them through like a, a calisthenics intro, 10 squats, 10 pull-aparts, 10 recline row, 10 lunges, and maybe like 10 abs holding yourself up on the dip bar. Do that twice. And uh, then they would do a uh, partner. I would do, you know, hold their ankles. They'd walk on their hands, do pull-ups, four sets. Then they would do sandbag power clean, three sets of five or four sets of four. And then they would do farmer walk and push-ups. And then they would finish with some sleds. Kids would do that whole workout, the whole thing. And then... Here and there, a kid would come and like, 
be exhausted with the hand walking and the pull-ups or not even be able to walk on his hands. And then they just couldn't make it through the workout. One kid struggled during a warm-up, I remember. The way, reason why I remember this is I was next to an auto garage and there was a car parked. And while he was doing lunges, he was like holding onto the car. And it was a summer day. And it may have been, I used to have like, I used to just be there at all hours. So he may have been there at like 12 noon or one o'clock. And he was like, ah, he's like, ah, he's like on the, on the, um, on the bench that's outside of the auto garage. He's like, oh God. Uh. So I'm like, uh, you all right? Are you okay? Did you eat breakfast today? He's like, no, I was too busy. I was like, well, what do you mean you're too busy? What time did you wake up at? And Maybe it was like a one o'clock workout. I can't remember, but he woke up at like 1230, you know, 12 noon. And then I was like, I remember ripping into that kid. And I was crazy the way I would like kick kids out. And um, I was like, it's because you're out all night and you're too lazy to wake up and have breakfast and you don't want to be here. And I just sent the kid home on his bike and uh, I would just turn kids away. And it wasn't a free trial, free assessment. It wasn't a free intro. It was a trial. People were going to try out to train at the gym. And I had a 40-member limit. <clears throat> and if we had 40 people, you were put on a waiting list. And my average monthly membership was 275 a month. So at 40 people, I quickly built a six-figure gym while running it with part-time hours. I was open three hours a day, 5, 6, 7 p.m., Three hours a day. I think Fridays was five and six. Saturday, 9 a.m. only. And then by probably like 2010, 2009, on the regular, I started having kids who couldn't squat all the way down, kids who couldn't do a push-up, kids who definitely could not do a pull-up, kids who, you know, just everything became a struggle. It wasn't even the workout was a struggle. Moving during the warm-up was a struggle. Kids couldn't skip. I remember a young kid who was like 11 or 12 broke his foot jumping rope with us. He was an AAU basketball player and he felt something. And I was very, my knowledge of how to kind of command the room and handle situations like that was very good because of, as a teacher, when something happens, you're not like, shake it off. You're, you're cautious about it in the schools. This way you don't have a, something bad happens you know, you're always better off letting the kid go to the nurse. So he's jumping rope during the warm up, and the, he's like, I felt something like hurt in my foot. So we just did upper body that day. Granted, this is an 11 or 12 year old kid. You don't want to just do upper body with that kid, but he did push ups and recline row, and he did some med ball throwing and um, a lot of band work and abs off of the uh, dip bar and, and things like that. Uh, but I told his dad, his dad was like, okay, let him just finish this workout and like maybe just sprain something. And um, <clears throat> I checked in with the dad and I said, look, if it still hurts, I go, there's nothing wrong with just going and getting it checked out. You never know. And I, that's what you just say as a teacher. You always say, hey, t take your kid to the doctor. You never know. <clears throat> they get an x-ray. His foot is broken. <clears throat> and I don't recall if I was in an argument with the father but I remember telling the father because I had gone through the first IYCA youth certification, the first certification ever. I went through the pilot program. I was with Lee Taft. It was when Brian Grasso was running it. It was like 15 or 20 of us. And 
you know, I knew and understood about multi-sports to develop the athlete. This kid had 11 months of AAU basketball since he was seven, I remember. So I explained to the dad, I said, his foot broke because if you think about it, Mr. Smith, he's been playing basketball for four years for 11 months out of the year. He's not playing any other sports. He's sprinting and jumping every day. That equates to probably several thousand jumps a month. Where let's say it's you know uh, a thousand. Let's say he's you know all the sprinting and jumping. You know we're talking like forty, fifty thousand jumps in a year. I mean it's insane. And uh, he was like, no. He's like that has nothing to do with it. He broke his foot jumping rope. You guys were negligent. And it's like a kid is jumping rope and broke you know a metatarsal. It's <clears throat> insane to me, but it is. Your body, we had this conversation, Matt Wenning said, staying healthy is a matter of that optimal training. He goes, if you will not back off on your training, your body will force you to back off by getting injured. Things will break. Your car breaks down. If I'm going to drive to your house, Joel, my car is going to break down somewhere out on the West Coast. And I'm going to say, Joel, I broke down in Arizona, uh, you know, whatever. That, you know, my car is old. You're going to be like, Zach, you broke down in Arizona because you drove all the way cross country. You didn't get your oil changed. You didn't pull over. You kept going, you know, you were doing 100 miles an hour. You never went the speed limit. So your car broke down. And that's how the human body is. And now we're dealing with two things. We're dealing with the overuse and we're dealing with a lack of physical readiness, a lack of physical basic preparation. Kids couldn't I had high school kids telling me that they were squatting one rep max, but they couldn't do a good bodyweight squat. They couldn't get all the, they could get halfway down. Kids were benching, which I'm okay with benching when you can't really do push-ups. Sometimes I'll have a kid who can't do push-ups, just do the bar for a lot of reps or a lot of light dumbbell work. But these guys were doing <clears throat> one rep max. So by the time I think 2010 came around, three, four years into running my gym, that's when I started seeing a pretty good decrease in the athleticism and the capability. And now we're 2018. I would definitely say when I opened this location, uh, I opened it this December will be, I signed the lease six years ago, but it took me like two to three months to get it open. <clears throat> Opening this gym in this little beach town, I started, I remember getting very much the wrong kids. I remember a kid was going through his trial and I told him, go ahead and grab a drink. And he went to the table where this, you know, we have like an area where the kids put their book bags. And I saw him like take his phone and duck down and like, like text message or something. And he was like looking around, like hiding. <clears throat> and I was like, what the F is going on right now? And I walk over, I'm like, are you on your, are you text hiding, texting? I was like, we don't do that. And when his dad came in, that mean that I remember I had a conversation with another dad and I said, your son was checking his phone every time he went back. And he's like, just to be clear, <clears throat> he's like, I saw a lot of guys check their phone. We don't let kids check their phone. Nowadays they come, you see them like press their phone. But I realized that parents got softer. Kids got crazy soft and <clears throat> everybody started getting scared like four or five years ago in a way of like, He's playing football. Is it bad for him to work out? And moms would say that. And I'd say, your husband, 
probably played football eight hours a day in the summertime. Your son is going to an hour and a half practice and doing a controlled workout for 30 or 40 minutes here. There's kids in Pennsylvania working on a farm before they go to school and after school. They're going to be fine. But parents are scared. <clears throat> and um, even my own kids, my kids are now 12 and 10, pretty serious tennis. And my son's pretty serious with baseball, but he also wrestles. My daughter will play soccer. She's going to join the basketball team. But I am not afraid of the work that they do. The thing that I'm concerned with is when their sport coach tries to become a strength and conditioning coach and starts having them do incorrect training, incorrect technique, and the same old repetitive warm-up that doesn't really attack the, their weak areas. So that is an issue where, you know, as an independent strength coach, we are now undoing mistakes of sport coaches who pretend to be strength coaches. You know, this is not old Soviet Union where the sport and strength coach was 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 one. They were the same person. Uh, they just don't have the knowledge of today and kids being <clears throat> more messed up with their mobility and stability than ever before. You need to be smarter than ever before. So I'd say six years ago, I started seeing quite a dramatic decline. And even back to being a phys ed teacher, <clears throat> um, the presidential fitness test used, was a one mile race. My buddy said, look, we're not running that one mile. Kids can't even do that. He goes, presidential fitness test will now be quarter mile. And even the college kids, one of the kids we train uh, just had to go through basically a, like he had, they had to put him in a coma. He had heat stroke. Um, he's a freshman in college and <clears throat> they kicked off training, you know, right away. And he had a shoulder surgery. So his training, you know, he wasn't doing a lot of heavy training in the summer, but sport coaches aren't wondering, Hey, what did you do? And they're kind of, you know, sport coaches are sometimes doing their own strength and conditioning or conditioning work that the kids may not be ready on. And you're better off just kind of at this, even the college level giving them like a good three week intro to build them up and let them accommodate to the stress of school and get their nutrition dialed in versus trying to get after it right away. And, um, I think a, an athlete may have died in Maryland recently. I mean, there's a lot going on and we have my concern, Joel, is we've got more resources than ever before, but even the college kids are weaker and unprepared less than ever before. So that's why as coaches, there's a lot of strength coaches out there giving up and not training athletes anymore. They're just training, you know, women. Um, and it's like, hey, man, if your mission is to train athletes, like find a way to make it happen. Find a way because these kids need it. I mean, there's more information out there. Are we are these sport coaches doing the wrong things? Are the kids not stepping up and getting a coach to train them up? I mean, there's it's a, it's a weird place. More information than ever before yet less prepared than ever before. That's my concern. Yeah, I, it, it is an interesting world, right, where we have just an immense knowledge at our fingertips, but uh, some things <clears throat> just haven't seemed to get a whole lot better. So, uh, right. well, hey, man, it was awesome having you on today. I know our time's up today. I wish we could definitely talk longer, but uh, I always love hearing you speak on the, the topic of SNC. It always gets me fired up. And uh, also probably hopefully I'll get my creative juices flowing in my workout later on today. So I appreciate it, Zach. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it, my man. Talk to you soon, brother. Mm -hmm.
right, that does it for episode 115. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you all next week. In the meantime, please don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end trading technology. Have a good one.